Matthew 22. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer as we get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity that we have to uh, come before you and study your word once again. Father, would you help us to change our lives to be conformed into your image, exactly what you want us to be. Father, every one of us here today has something that we need to work on, some part of our lives that we need to turn over to you. And so, Father, I pray that today would be that day that we all surrender our lives to what you want us to do. And, Father, we just pray that your will is accomplished here today. We love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We here at Bible Baptist Church, we like to talk about Jesus. We like to think about him and who he is, and we like to study his word. And Jesus, if you don't know this already, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. Uh, his name is Emmanuel as well. He walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, and he lived for the sole purpose of bringing every person on earth the opportunity of everlasting life. He gave everybody that opportunity. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all written about the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. These four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all walked with Jesus. They all spent time with Jesus. They all listened to his teaching. They watched as he would perform miracles and uh, just go on about his life. They watched all of these things. They listened to his lessons. In fact, many times his lessons were taught directly to them, directly at them. He had taught them things that they had never heard before from any other religious leader. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that they wrote many of those things down so that we, nearly 2,000 years later, can have the teachings of Jesus Christ written for us. And so that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the, is the writings, the teachings of God, what God wants us to do in our lives. Many of the lessons that Jesus Christ taught, he taught for the sole purpose of somebody asked him a question. Now also here at Bible Baptist Church, we like questions. Now I know there's some of you that are already thinking, I'm going to think of a question that he cannot answer. I know what you're thinking. But there are other people who are often scared to ask questions. Listen, we want you to ask questions. Questions are an opportunity to teach. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ took these opportunities and he would teach. His disciples, his followers would often ask him questions would often ask him, hey, Jesus, what about this? And what about that? And Jesus would use those as teaching moments for his disciples. But there were also another group of people that would always, always ask him questions. And that was the religious crowd. You see, the religious crowd, once again, hated Jesus. They hated him so much. You see, Jesus was disrupting their way of life. They had lived their life nearly uh, 1,500 years just walking the way that they knew how to walk from the law. And the religious crowd at that time was absolutely consumed with the law. They were consumed with commandments. They were consumed with what to do and what not to do. The majority of the questions that the religious crowd had asked, they revolved around commandments. They revolved around, hey, what about this commandment? What about that commandment? What about this, that commandments? Commandments, commandments, commandments. They were so consumed with commandments. 
By the way, this is no different than the religious crowd 2,000 years later. Many of us that sit here this morning um, are consumed with commandments. What do I do? What, do I, what am I not supposed to do? Uh, we're consumed with how much money we should give to the church. What's the command? Give me the amount. I want to know exactly how much. We are consumed with what people look like. We are consumed with how people act. We are consumed with exactly what people say. We're consumed with making sure we look good on the outside. We're consumed with those things. And look at you look across the room. Many of us are dressed up today. That's great. And many of us are consumed with that. And listen, I'm not trying to say that's an unimportant thing at all. I'm just trying to say many of us are consumed with that. We're consumed with commandments. We're consumed with what we are supposed to do and what we are not supposed to do. And then on top of that, you know what happens, right? When somebody doesn't look like us and somebody doesn't act like us and somebody doesn't talk like us and somebody doesn't quite dress up all the way in a complete suit and tie, what happens is we will often judge those people. Well, you don't look like me. You don't sound like me. You, you have all of these different things going on that I just don't think is right to do. We begin to judge. So let me just inform you that the religious crowd at Bible Baptist Church is no different than the religious crowd 2,000 years ago. Again, we may look a little different than they did. We may even sound a little different than they did. But we all have the same idea. But on this day here in Matthew chapter 22, the religious crowd has had enough of Jesus. They have absolutely had enough. This is it. They are going all in. They are going to finally trap him. They are going to finally put him to rest. This will be the end of it. It is all or nothing. They are not messing around anymore. They are getting ready to launch an all-out assault on Jesus. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 22. Look with me in verse 15. The Bible says this, Then went the Pharisees. After Jesus did some teaching, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Okay, so just picture this with me. They take counsel. They all get together, and they are writing down all the words that Jesus says, and they're like, how can we entangle him? How can we trap him in what he says? We have to get rid of him. They're trying to entangle him in his talk. Look at verse 16. And they sent out unto him their disciples. Okay, so these are religious leaders. You have to remember, disciples were not a, a, an abnormal thing. A, a rabbi, somebody who was a religious teacher, he would walk around with a group of people. Sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes twelve or more people he would walk around with and teach constantly. That was his disciples. Here, the religious leaders have these same Disciples, and so what do they do? They send out unto him, Jesus, their disciples, notice this, with the Herodians. So they bring in another group of people, and this is what they say. Saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Whoa, I mean, that went from, hey, we know you're from God, you, are, you, you, you serve God, you tell the truth of God, but you do not care about people. Wow. Again, if you look at the history of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is healing people. So, 
I don't know where they're getting their information from, but they are antagonizing him. They are trying to get a reaction. Look at verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful, there's that word lawful, to give tribute unto Caesar or not? You see, they're coming back to the law, to the commandment. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Just a little bit of background. At this time in history, the Jewish people are under uh, Roman Caesar, under Roman headship. And so they did not want to be under Roman authority. And so Caesar is the Roman leader, and he has taxes that need to be paid. No, so their question is this, is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Again, a question of law, commandments again. And again, just for sake of time, we're not going to go through what, they, what Jesus' answer is, but you can see the answer in verses 18 to 21. You can look up that in your own time. But I want you to notice verse 22. Bible says this, when they heard these words, notice, they marveled and left him and went their way. Here's, I have a, I have a two-word term for this, epic failure. Epic failure. They, they just hung their heads, they were like, wow, we did not expect that, and they walked away. They failed. It didn't work. So the messengers, the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians, they have failed. Okay, so now we got to amp this up a little bit, right? The foot soldiers have messed up. Let's bring in the cavalry. Okay, look at verse 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him. Okay, so they're getting ready to ask a question. So we've just ramped it up. Enter the next religious group, the Sadducees. And the Bible tells us that the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, which is problematic. We can get into all kinds of doctrine here. I'm just trying to touch the surface. But notice again in verse 24, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now again, they're drawing attention to Moses' law. It's the law again, the commandments. And again, I don't want to muddy the waters here with what they ask, but let's put it together for this. They ask about the law again, the commands, the commands that Moses has given. Jesus answers their questions in verse 29 to 32, but look at verse 33. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Once again, they're just like, oh, I never expected that. How is he doing this? So the cavalry has now failed. We have two epic failures right in a row. The religious crowd is now scrambling. The religious crowd is now running around thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And so they're going to bring in the tanks. They're bringing in the big guns now. We're not messing around anymore. Here we go. Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Here we go. The Pharisees, the religious elite, the greatest sect of the religious elite are now coming to Jesus. And they're going to ask him the most pinnacle question. They're going to ask him about the most important thing. In fact, they even get a well-spoken lawyer to ask the question. If you're going to get somebody to talk, get a lawyer, right? 
I don't know if anybody's a lawyer in here. I don't mean to slam, but man, can lawyers talk. They do such a good job. So no more Mr. Nice Guy. Here we go. Look at verse 35. Then one of them asked, which was a lawyer, excuse me, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay, no holds barred. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Again, we love commandments. Remember, they're the religious crowd, right? We love commandments. We want to know what is the most important one of all. What's the greatest commandment of all? Come on, Jesus. Tell us what the greatest is. And Jesus' answer was not at all what they wanted to hear. It was not at all what they wanted to hear. Before I get into this, I just want to show you this. Okay, we're going to focus in right on what Jesus answers right here, but look at the end of the chapter in verse 46. I love this. This is my favorite. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. I love it. Jesus just changed everything for them. And see, today Jesus wants to change everything for you. Jesus wants to change everything for you. So Jesus' answer was not what they expected. Jesus' answer was not what they wanted to hear. And Jesus' answer is probably not what you expect or what you want to hear. But let's look at his answer anyway. Verse 37. What is the greatest commandment? Verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus' answer to the greatest commandment is simply this. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Again, this is not what they wanted to hear. Remember, because they want to see what everybody's wearing. They want to see what everybody's eating. And they blame the disciples at one point for eating with unwashed hands. You don't even have washed hands, so I'm going to judge you about that. You see, they wanted something that they could measure. They wanted something that they could show and put forth. Most of us are listening to this message today, and we want a, a checklist of things to do in priority sequence. Right? When you have a lot to do, what do you do? You, somehow, you make a check, checklist. What's the most important thing I have to get done first? Done. Check mark, check mark, check mark. We love check mark Christianity. We love when we can check mark, hey, I was really nice to my neighbor today. I didn't yell and scream at him today. That's good stuff right there, man. I did well. We want check mark Christianity. We are here today because we want to know what to do. I hope you came to church because you want to know. I hope you came to church because you want to know what to do to better your life. I hope you came to church today to be a better father. I hope you came to church today to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better child, to be a better, uh, fill in the blank, a better worker, a better employee, all of these different things. I hope you came today to be better. Our theme this year is reaching out. Ah, how much reaching out is enough reaching out? Just tell me the amount and that's what I'll do. Right? Which is the greatest commandment? 
you're in the habit of writing things down, I'd ask you to write this down. We all want something measurable and easily attainable. We all want something measurable and easily attainable, okay? So Peter, some of you may not even know this story, but Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he, in his wonderful, beautiful opportunity of a loudmouth jerk, he says, seven times? And Jesus says, oh no. I say unto thee, 70 times seven. You see, we all want something measurable and attainable. See, Peter was like, seven times, I think I could probably do that. There's not many people that could even attempt to forgive somebody seven times. We all want something that's measurable and easily attainable, but Jesus gives us none of that. You see, we don't want to work too hard, and we want to be able to see a little bit of progress to see how we're doing, to see how good we are. But Jesus' answer is neither measurable nor easily attainable. His answer is to love God and love others. Jesus' answer to the question is anything but measurable or easily attainable. But if we will pursue these two things, if we will pursue these two things, Jesus says this, that everything else stems from these two things. Look at verse 40. On these two commandments, Hang all the law and the prophets. Everything else stems from these two things. So you're struggling with how to be a good dad? Everything stems from this. You're struggling with how to be a good wife? Everything stems from this. Everything falls from these two things. You see, Jesus' teaching here presents us with a completely different way of living life than what comes natural to us. You, you realize it comes natural to us to compare ourselves with one another, right? It comes so naturally. It comes so naturally for us to go, I'm doing better than they are, and I'm more popular than they are, and I listen to better music than they do, and I'm a better father than he is, and I'm a better husband than he is, and all of these different things that we put into place. The reality is Jesus is challenging us to something far better. Jesus is challenging us to be more than we currently are. And I want to make this very clear. This challenge that Jesus gives us, this command, is for every single one of us. Every single one of us. Every single one of us is challenged by this. He challenges us not only just to love God, which if I was to ask the question today, how many of you love God? I would think most of you would raise your hand. Your presence here today says that. Your presence here today says, hey, I have a love for God. But listen, Jesus doesn't just say, love God. Look what he says. Verse 37, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now, again, please don't raise your hand. But if I was to ask that question, how many of you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, how many of you then would be able to raise your hand? You see, the reality is not many of us would be able to. This is a challenge for every single one of us. So often, many of us, all of us, get distracted by all kinds of other things in our lives. 
We get distracted by all kinds of other things in our lives. We get distracted by money. We get distracted by fashion. We get distracted by success. We get distracted by leisure. We get distracted by sex. And we get distracted by all kinds of work. And, and, and maybe even good things we get distracted by. We're constantly distracted in our lives. And we get so distracted that we forget about God. We forget about God. We're too busy pursuing the things that we want to pursue that we don't end up pursuing God. To the extent that we will even pursue good commandments. We'll pursue what we look like. We'll pursue how much money we give. We'll pursue what we do, what we say. We'll pursue all of those things and we'll try to get everybody to conform to what we think they ought to be pursuing. I want to point you to this. Most of the commandments that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of the religious elite were following were commandments of God. They absolutely were. And you say, oh, okay, great, oh, that's wonderful. We should follow all the commands of God. I agree with you. But the problem is they were too focused on the commands. They forgot about God. The religious crowd were so focused on the commands that they forgot about their relationship with God. We're too busy pursuing things that we want to pursue that we don't pursue God, even good things. Even like family time. Even like a vacation. Even like going to church. Even like helping in the community. All of these good things that we pursue but we forget about God. If you're in the habit of writing things down, would you write this down? The paramount relationship in our lives should be our relationship with God. The paramount relationship in our lives should be our relationship with God. By the way, I'm not talking about people only. When we think about relationships, what do we think about? We think about people. The word relationship simply means connection. You're connected to people. You're connected to things. Listen, the paramount relationship in our lives should be our relationship with God. You say, what does that look like? What does that look like? Everything my mind thinks about should be in relation to God. Let me say that one more time. Everything my mind thinks about should be in relation to God. Everything I put in my heart should be in relation to God. Every aspect of my life should be in relation to God. You say, Pastor Owens, what do you mean in relation? We ought to constantly be looking at God. We ought to constantly be asking ourselves, what would God do or what would Jesus do? We ought to be constantly thinking, how is this going to affect Jesus? I'm married. I love being married. It's awesome. So much fun. But listen, there are things that I do that I do not involve my relationship with my wife on. I, at least I should say I used to. I have had a, an anomaly come recently that I was like, oh, I'm still doing that. I would make decisions on my own do what I wanted to do, and then tell my wife, hey, by the way, this is what we're doing, whether you like it or not. And all the men are like, yeah. 
Yeah, right, you would never say that out loud. And all the women are like, you're so dumb, you should never do that. But here's the reality, everything I ought to do ought to be in relation to my wife. How is this going to affect her? I should talk to her about this. I should, I should get her opinion on this. I should figure, we should figure this out together. Listen, that's exactly what we're trying to say here today, is that everything I ought to do, my mind, my heart, my soul, everything a part of my life ought to be in relation to God. Let me ask this question. Why do we continually struggle with what we look at on our phone? Why do we continually struggle with what we look at on our phones? Here's why. Because we aren't allowing God in on the relationship with our phones. And I, I, I want to I spend all my time looking at what I shouldn't be looking at on this little computer. You know why? Because you're not allowing God to enter in that relationship. Your relationship with your phone is regardless of your relationship with God. Why do we struggle, continue to struggle with the words that we say? Whether it's a cutting word or a cursing word, whatever it is, why? Why do we struggle with it? Here, let me inform you, because we aren't letting God into that relationship. I just want to say what I want to say when I want to say it. We aren't letting God into that relationship. Why? Why do we continually struggle with what we think about. Again, we could say this about everything in our lives. Maybe these three things aren't something that you struggle with, but why do we continue to struggle with whatever you're struggling? Can I ask you, maybe it's because you aren't allowing God into that relationship. You see, all of us have relationships with all kinds of different things. All of us have all kinds of different relationships with all kinds of different people. But I want you to understand, every relationship, every relationship ought to be in relationship to God. The paramount relationship is our relationship with God. You see, most of us have a tendency to think about all of our relationships as separate. So I can have a relationship with my coworkers that my wife will never know about. They're separate, right? Anybody else think that way? I, I can have a relationship at work that my wife will never know about. I can have a relationship with this that this will never know about. And so we picture relationships as completely separate. They don't coincide. But I want you to understand this. All relationships are connected. All relationships are connected, so all relationships are affected. If all relationships are connected, my relationship with my phone affects my relationship with my kids and my wife. My relationship with the music that I listen to affects my relationship with my church. My, they're all connected. And so we think that they're not. All relationships are connected, so all relationships are affected by other relationships. Again, my relationship with my wife, guess what it does? It affects my relationship with God. It absolutely does. If you think it doesn't, you're very wrong. All relationships are connected. My relationship with food. We're getting ready to eat. My relationship with food affects my relationship with God. You realize that? 
My relationship with my music affects my relationship with God. My relationship with other people affects my relationship with God. My relationship with you fill in the blank affects all other relationships. But even more importantly, our relationship with God affects all other relationships. This, this is the paramount relationship, right? Is our relationship with God. So understand this, our relationship with God, guess what it does? It affects all other relationships. My relationship with God, guess what it does? It affects my relationship with my wife. My relationship with God affects what I look at. My relationship with God affects what I listen to. My relationship with God affects what kind of father I am. My relationship with God affects what I do to other people. My relationship with God affects what comes out of my mouth. My relationship with God affects all other relationships. Every one of them. By the way, this is the first and great commandment. It's the paramount. It is the top. And upon these Hang all the law and the prophets. Look at verse 39. The Bible says this. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Most of us just wish it stopped there, don't we? Oh yeah, I love my neighbor. But it says, as thyself. You see, Jesus gives us something to measure it by. All thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our theme for this year, again, is reaching out. Reaching out to other people. Jesus' command here is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. To put aside our desires, to put aside our wants, and to address the needs of other people. This is the theme of reaching out. I'm going to put aside my wants. If, if I'm cold, guess what I do? I put a sweater on. I, I like myself. I love myself. If I'm hungry, guess what I do? I feed myself. This is what we do. And so if someone else hungers or if someone else thirsts, feed them and give them drink. Love them as you would love yourselves. We take care of ourselves. Why? Because we love ourselves. Likewise, we need to be reaching out to the people around us who have need. There's not a person listening to this right now that does not have some sort of need. Again, depending on our relationship, you might be open enough to share that. But everybody has needs. Everybody has uh, problems in their lives. Everybody has some sort of need. And every one of us ought to be reaching out to help another person with their need. Every one of us. So if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Instead of being so distracted with what we want, it's time we were consumed with what other people need. Instead of being distracted with what we want, right? Because we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Instead of being distracted with what we want, it's time we were consumed with what other people need. These are the first two great commandments. Your neighbors need prayer. I could think of, as I look across the room, 
different prayer requests that all of you have. Listen, your neighbors, the people that sit here, need prayer. The, your neighbor next door to you, literally next door to you on the street, needs prayer. Your neighbors need meals made. I have an opportunity this week to make some meals for a lady who, who's had hip surgery. Your neighbor needs meals made. Your neighbor needs encouragement. Your neighbors need support. Your neighbors need a helping hand. Listen, write this down. The most fulfilling life comes from loving God and loving others. The most fulfilling life comes from loving God and loving others. No, 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 Pastor Jones. The most fulfilling life comes from doing what I want to do. We talked a little bit about that last week. No, it comes from serving others. It comes from loving God and loving others. Again, these are the first and great commandment. It's very simple. Your relationship with God will inevitably affect your relationship with man. In fact, I believe they cannot be separated. You say, I got a problem with so-and-so, then you got a problem with God. Because all relationships affect other relationships you say i i got a problem with god i can almost guarantee you you have a problem with other people and i think sometimes we we think about our lives and we think man why can't i reach out why can't i love that person why can't i overcome this why can't i be a better father why can't i why can't i why can't i can i ask you how is your relationship with loving god I would love to spend another 45 minutes talking about ways in which we can grow in love with God. But let me just suffice it to give you this. The more time you spend with him, the more you'll love him. Guarantee you. And guess what? The more time you spend with him, the more like him you'll become. And so guess what? You'll begin listening to his style of music. You'll begin listening to or hearing the good things about people instead of hearing the bad things. You'll begin loving people as you love yourself. Jesus says, love them as I have loved them. See, the reality is most of us want to judge everybody. Most of us want to compare ourselves to everybody. And Jesus says, no, we're done with that. And I want to show you a better way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we call the love chapter. At the end of chapter 12, leading into chapter 13, he says, I show you a more excellent way. Love. Just love. Love God and love others. Are you sick of being mediocre in your Christian life? Are you sick of being defeated? Do you want to live the most joy-filled, the most peace-filled, the most faith-filled life ever? Live out the two greatest commandments. Love your God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all you do for us. Father, we have so, so much work to do there are areas of our lives right now, every single one of us, that you 
have been pushed out of. According to what your word says, you're kind of standing at the door, knocking. Hey, I, w- I want to be in on that part of your life. Let me in. You'll never force your way in. You give us that choice. Father, if we will open the door, you will come in and sup with us. Have that relationship and you'll be entered into that relationship. Father, if there's one area of any of our lives, Father, that is not that does not have you in it, that you'd show us that, that we would submit that to you, Father, we would see victory over it. Father, we give you the praise and honor for it. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you even as personal Savior, they've never actually even allowed you into their life, then I pray that today would be that day they accept you as personal Savior. Father, again, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, we want your will to be done here today. We pray all these things in your name.